Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. And joining us today is Ian Lawrence, Zygo Network Manager, to talk decarbonization. Decarbonization is today's challenge for pretty much everyone, every corporation. Some are leading the way, some are laggards. I think Ian today can give us a lot more insight into how you are a corporate leader in decarbonization, how to be a corporate decarbonization leader, and how software in particular can help to empower decarbonization through education, connections, community, and whatnot. So just uh, to get started, I always like to get a little background on who you are, where you come from, and how you got into this this field in general, and also into Saigo. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Really happy to be here. I love talking about this subject. I love talking about interesting topics that people are asking about. I've been with Schneider Electric for actually just hit my 14th anniversary and have not always been in renewables. I started out kind of in energy more broadly with looking at natural gas markets, helping kind of audit third-party invoices in the natural gas market, moved into power, and around 2015, started to move into renewables, which it's, it's interesting as you talk to folks in the industry, you know, f- folks that are my age or, or a little bit younger and certainly older didn't start in renewables, most of them, but we found our way there. And for me, it was through helping renewable energy developers approach corporate buyers. And we'll get more into that, but that was kind of my entrance into things. And from there, got into uh, kind of the team I'm on now where we're doing that in in a lot of different ways and expanded that into kind of how we can make connections, help corporates with decarbonization, things like that. And to answer the other question, I'm from Virginia, got my degree from Virginia Tech. uh, So that's kind of part of the country I'm from. Great stuff. Yeah. I think I started covering solar and wind in 2009 here in Clean Technica and started running the site in 2010. And I just remember those early days, there was like, it's it's always funny to me because we were like so excited about the growth and the growth forecast. But if you look back at like growth from 2010 to 2015, it looks so small compared to now. <laughs> so we were, we were like, oh, look at how fast it's growing. Look how much it's going to grow in the next five years. But it's really around, like you said, that 2015 to 2020 time where stuff really started to pick up. Big corporations started buying or building large renewable energy power plants and that kind of thing. I'd like to hear more about your early days uh, helping corporations to decarbonize versus what that's like now so how do how do you go from you know that period to this period what's what's what are the big differences what are the that you can explain yeah there's there's a lot that could be said there maybe a good place to start is talking about the people involved and how it's shifted over the last even the last five years you know it was fairly common going back to you know 2015 2016 when when we as Schneider Electric were ramping up with with trying to help companies address purchasing renewables it was it was common that the folks we would deal with had been in procurement had been in energy maybe even facilities and then somebody came to them and said hey your job now includes this go buy renewables for our company 
And <laughs> that's no small task. People don't just you know, know how to do that inherently, right? You get a degree today to do that, which is kind of the next generation of folks that we're dealing with. But there was, there was a big gap just in understanding and education. Um, before you can go execute something, you have to have some concept of what are the risks, for example? How does this fit into our overall strategy? Especially when we're talking energy, where you know it's common to be hedging out a few years, whether we're talking gas or power. Renewables are, are kind of different in that regard in some ways. So in those early days, it was heavy on education, but it was a folks that were knowledgeable of energy, but just had to kind of transition to understand this new landscape of renewables. That, that seems uh, that matches with my memory, my experience. So today, say a corporation, you know, appoints you as chief sustainability officer or appoints me as chief sustainability officer. What should my first steps be? What, what do I need to know? What do I need to do to, to take action in that? sort of big role these days? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So I would say the first thing you need to know is what's the mandate from above, right? What has my, my CEO, my shareholders told me is the priority when it comes to decarbonization, sustainability? Is there a public goal? That's a huge question. Has my company committed, for example, to net zero by 2035? That, you know, a goal like that will set the agenda and the timeline and dictate things like resources. If you haven't set a goal, that would be the next step. Go set a goal. And, and, and there's a lot entailed in that. The goal of net zero by 2035 puts you on a very different path than a net zero by 2050 goal, right? This is, yes. <laughs> this yes. is, uh, I mean, I think everyone's got a goal these days. And the question, it, one of the first questions is how aggressive is that goal? How, how ambitious is that, is that goal? And where do you sit today, right? That's right. Yeah. You know, a lot of companies set a, a goal pretty far out, 2050, I think, hoping that there would just be a lot more options by then and not necessarily feeling that I need to have a plan to do that here as we sit in 2023. Now, that's a bet in and of itself. They might be right. They might be wrong. There are plenty of options today. And so companies that have more aggressive goals are finding ways to achieve them, whether it's scope one, scope two, scope three, but that's kind of where it starts. Is, is you want to maybe explain what those different scopes are for, as well? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So, and these are super helpful categories and really essential categories to understand if you're trying to, to move forward and implement. So scope one emissions are emissions emitted directly from my facilities. So think smoke coming out of the top of my building from my diesel generator, right? That's scope one emissions. Scope two emissions is from purchased electricity. So if I have a building that, that's using zero fossil fuels in my building, I'm still using electricity. And that electricity is being generated by a variety of sources, many of which are going to be fossil fuels. Obviously, that depends on where you are in the world. And then scope three is, is a bit of a catch-all for everything else. Some of those things would be my fleet, vehicle fleet, travel, business travel, for example. And then the big one that companies are trying to deal with today is my supply chain. And for many companies, supply chain is actually the biggest part of their emissions. Yeah, that seems like that's the big challenge. I think some of the corporate leaders who have who have quickly gone 100% renewables, some of the big names, you know, like IKEA, they then dive into how do we get our suppliers and their suppliers and everyone's suppliers to go go net zero. Well, can you just talk a bit more too then about what challenges someone in that role faces? What are the common hurdles that corporate leaders trying to decarbonize 
whether that's the CEO or the chief sustainability officer or or just someone, you know, passionate and concerned about the, 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 the situation? Yeah, yeah. There, there are a number of challenges. I think a few at the top of the list would be, one would be the breadth of both the knowledge and connections that are required for the role. So to, to decarbonize a company, it requires you to understand facility and real estate, finance and accounting, legal. It requires you to have connections up through the C-suite. Now, you don't need to be an expert in all those areas, but, but your work will touch on them and you need to have some understanding, some connections with the people involved. And that's different from a lot of other roles at a company. It can be challenging. The second thing I'd mention is the, the fast changing landscape of renewables, whether it's policy, technology, available structures for purchasing, these things that are changing quickly because it's such an exciting and important topic, you know, policy comes through regularly on a state level, a national level that really impacts what you can do. And it can be hard to stay on top of that. And maybe one more thing I'll mention is the, the need for confidence. You know, when you're in an industry that's somewhat new and the rules are still being written, it can be challenging to have the confidence you need to take the steps you have to take. And where to go to get that confidence and to validate it is something that can be hard. So. And so much these days is based on, you know, the information you have, how well you manage and uh, and share information, how well you process it. Um, I imagine with, you know, the finance people working with the engineers and the C-suite, what's, you know, I imagine there's a big software component to trying to make sure that this runs smoothly and you and you're not just sort of like uh, treading water, trying to <laughs> trying to track everything, figure everything out and and, and cooperate, right? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, w- everything we do today, we do with software, right? You know, if, if I wanted to find a place to stay in, in San Francisco 30 years ago, maybe I'd call some friends and find somebody there. Today, I just get on Airbnb and they give me a thousand options, right? So s- software is really kind of the key that's unlocking scale for us in so many parts of our lives. And, and this is, is another example you know, whether it's getting my arms around the pace of change with renewables and software can enable a rapid update where a team of people can be sitting behind that, shoving information and data into it in a way that's made accessible for end users, whether it's it's making connections and community aspects, you know, those are things that we're, we're very, have a lot of experience over the last 20 years of knowing how connections can be made with software. So yeah, it's it's enabling kind of new frontiers but I, th- I think a lot of it does come down to scale, in my view. What's the community aspect for a corporation trying to decarbonize? Like, how, you have to educate, but you know, think of education as sort of a one-way street. And so much of this, as you said, requires buy-in across the company. It requires different people working together from different elements, different departments in the company. What's the community side of all this? What's what you mentioned it briefly, but I I think you could probably go into it further, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is kind of counterintuitive. I, I don't think when you mention decarbonization to somebody, they would think we need community to help us achieve that, right? I mean, in some ways, yes, but... but Makes so, me think of a good sitcom or something. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, in one sense, you're right. Community is a subset of education, right? Sure, I can read articles. I can join webinars. I can consume things. 
but how much better to sit down over a cup of coffee for an hour and have a conversation with someone that really knows the subject matter. And so that doesn't sound very software-y and that's not exactly what we're doing, but, but we recognize that. And I think we all recognize that. So, you know, we do have in-person events and we've been doing that for the, you know, the last six or seven years or so. And, and that's, we kind of stumbled into that. Honestly, we didn't launch a software platform and then decide let's have an in-person event, but it, we found that it, it worked well. And we found that the relationships that were built and the connections bridged into the software and continued to help folks. So, so education would be kind of one component. And maybe the other one that I think that I already mentioned is that idea of, of validation, right? If, if you tell me, hey, I, I just bought this Ford Bronco and, and it's, uh, it's great. I don't know if you'd ever buy a Bronco, whatever you would buy. And, uh, and I tell you, I was thinking about buying a car and you tell me all about it. How much more likely am I to then go be interested in that? And, and you answered all my questions and you really raise my level of confidence. And we find that happen with, with renewables too. And so that community aspect really plays into that and has an impact. Yeah, there's in, in the solar field, there's the neighborhood effect. You know, the, the, yeah, if, if there's someone on your street has a solar roof, you're much more likely to get one. That's right. uh, with with Tesla, for example, they, they didn't do traditional advertising for years. They're sort of dabbling in it now and relied heavily on on community through software, social media and mm-hmm. on referrals. You know, that that that, um, you know, just someone talking to you about their car and, you know, they get a bonus uh, some kind of you know, bonus uh, for get, giving, you know, getting a referral into the company. And of course, that's gone really well for them. I think you probably heard of the company, right? Yeah, it's gone pretty well. I'd <laughs> yeah, say, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. If you enjoy clean tech talk and clean technica, please consider pitching in a few dollars a month at cleantechnica.com slash support. That's cleantechnica.com slash support, where you can sign up in seconds with a credit card, pitch in a few dollars a month or whatever you like. Some people actually contribute a hundred dollars a month to help us cover climate change and clean tech and try to help the world one word at a time. Thank you. So I think that it's interesting because you're, you know, you're focusing on the same elements for decarbonizing corporations. It's just, it's, it's interesting to hear that because yeah, I guess when, when we think about it, you think about some number crunching, you know, some spreadsheets and not necessarily the education and community aspects. So can you give maybe just a little more like real world examples of what that looks like? So a few that come to mind. So we work with a number of our solution providers are battery providers, right? And often, you know, renewables plus batteries. In the past few years, it's waning a bit, but Ontario was a big market for, for storage because of kind of a particular charge on the power bills up there that, that, hit companies that had a really high demand charge. It was made a lot of sense to install big batteries and reduce that charge. And But but again, kind of like I was saying earlier, it felt like this nascent thing, like uh, uh, who's doing this, right? And, and so I was talking with somebody in our network who had discovered this opportunity and connected them with somebody who had already implemented it to have a conversation. And actually, the reason I like this example is because they ended up not doing it but they got the value of understanding it to enable them to make that decision, right? They understood kind of the risks, the nuts and bolts and realized, and eh, that's not going to work for us. But, but that relationship, that connection, that actual, you know, real world face-to-face helped them make that decision. And I can point to other examples. One comes to mind of a company that implemented a fuel cell 
solution at a facility in the past year or so. Similar thing. And, and they found they got all their questions answered and they were comfortable and they moved forward and they pulled the trigger on that. And it was, for them, it was the last component. You know, you talk about spreadsheets. We have lots of spreadsheets, right? So they, they, they had all the numbers. They had all the, the forecasts, but they needed somebody to say, I've done that and I'm happy with it. And here's what it looks like. And for them, that was, that was it. We got off the phone and they were pretty much ready to sign the paper. So it doesn't always happen, right? That, that, that connection is required, but it's not uncommon. And I could actually, I could give you more examples if you wanted to, but I'll, I'll stop there for now. No, actually I was going to, you know, because we sort of brushed over the data aspect and I guess that's, you know, because it's an assumption, that's, that's a heavy component, but maybe can you give some examples how data-driven insights have influenced uh, strategic decisions in clean energy adoption at corporations or electric vehicle adoption or, or other. Yeah, definitely. I mean, data, data is everything, right? So here's one example. We have a, uh, there's a tool that we use with, with our members that we provide for our members to help them kind of visualize opportunities for on-site solar in the, in the U S and in Europe. Right. So if you were talking to someone that, that doesn't really know much about on-site solar, the first thing that, that comes to mind for me is like, oh, the sunshine state. Florida is probably the place that I want to start to do, you know, put solar on the roofs of my factories, right? That's my that's my background here. If you you probably figured that out with the palm trees. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's where I live. Yeah. Okay, nice. So it's actually not true. I, if, things are improving in Florida, as you're probably aware in that regard, but yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do you it's see not, solar? It's not been a solar leader. No, it has not been <laughs> a solar leader. It's always been, you know, it's it's been a great topic for writing. The sunshine state is behind in solar. It's uh, it's unfortunate, but that's where we've been. Yeah, the California, Arizona, out west has right. and so and Florida's doing better, but we still have a lot of issues. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's counterintuitive. Which states are the better ones, and which ones aren't? So, so we've pulled together a lot of data right? On, for example, what is the, the cost of power, average cost of power state by state? What is the, you know, the net capacity factor? How, how much power of the sun can I harness in a particular geography? What are the, the policies around wh- whether I can sell excess power back to the grid and how much I'm going to get paid for it? What are the tax incentives? So this is all data, right? It's all data streams kind of on a, whether a state level or, or some other geographic level, and you roll it up to begin to then paint a picture of, all right, Tennessee, the data doesn't look so good, right? Florida, kind of improving, but, but not a leader, right? And then some of the places you mentioned, like California, again, maybe kind of an obvious one, last few years, Illinois, not obvious at all, has been a big hotspot for solar and renewables. And the data helps us see that, right? So. We've worked. We've worked with the Illinois Solar Energy Association for years. So you know, yeah. it's, it's great to see that kind of collaboration paying off. You know, their work paying off because I mean, they've been important, played an important role in helping that that happen. But yeah, it's not who, well, not who you think of, right? When you think, but you have all of that data. You you you're always basically able to tap into that based on where a corporation is and and what they're looking to do, where their facilities are. Correct. Yeah, that's right. It 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 orients you to start looking in the places where you're going to find what you need and, and helps you at least as a, as a first step to maybe set aside 
maybe that giant building in Kansas that you were hoping had an easy, low-hanging fruit solution. And and the data tells the story, right? So so yeah, that's right. Well, with Schneider Electric, that's sort of that. I guess you know, early on, I covered the Abu Dhabi Sustainability Week, World Future Energy Summit a lot. Yeah. Zayed Future Energy Prize, which is now called the Zayed Sustainability uh, Prize. And Schneider Electric won it for large corporation category in 2012. So nice. I remember covering it a lot and trying to understand what was Schneider Electric leading in, you know, early days of my, you know, clean tech media work. And so much of it was energy efficiency. So much of it was little, little energy efficiency things that add up and just being smart with the data, examining how, how you could, you know, improve a building's efficiency in this way, this way, this way, you know, whether it's automatic lights or all kinds of different things. So, and it just came across as a corporation that, that very much, you know, collects the data, puts it into spreadsheets, digs into it and optimizes, like not necessarily in the in the hottest, most exciting, funnest way, but in a very effective way. So I, I feel like that's sort of what you, what it sounds like you do at the decarbonization level uh, that you're working at as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of data. We, we, we are in many ways moving beyond spreadsheets. I don't think we'll ever finally get beyond spreadsheets as, as a civilization. I think that is. But yeah, there's, I mean, everything is information and information is numbers. And, and the risk, the possible reward, the, the numbers tell the story. Um, and it's, it's bringing the understanding to the numbers to draw the right conclusions that people need to do. Right. And so sometimes it's software that's helping you do that. That's kind of the world we're in that we're trying to, trying to build those solutions at Schneider. We still have a lot of just consulting work that we do where humans are looking at the numbers and drawing the conclusions and helping the uh, kind of the clients we work with to understand that. But it's, there's a real risk in trying to move forward with decarbonization without understanding the lay of the land uh, for, for your company at present. So. Yeah, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about the different profiles of of people you work with at corporations in charge of purchasing power, whether you know switching to renewables or you know engaging in power purchase agreements or whatnot. Like, you know, are some just they just want to have like a software platform where they do it all, and others they want to like they don't want to mess with that. They just want to they want to talk to a person, sign a contract with their hand. You know, do you have these kind of different types of profiles in this role of uh, when they're when you work with corporations trying to decarbonize yeah definitely i mean it's it's not too far off of what you said to be honest there are folks that uh, they don't want to touch it they want somebody else to do it and then they want to get on the phone and hear an update right and we have you know within schneider electric sure plenty of folks that do that and we do that well we think we do that really well increasingly especially with the younger generation you know the folks that have a, a degree in sustainability, which didn't exist when I was in college, they live and die by software and tools and, and they're adept at it, apps, everything's on the phone, you know? And so, so there's an increasing comfort level with using tools, apps, software to get the job done. And some of it's just personal as well. Some people have a preference for one thing or the other, but yeah, it's, it's, it's sustainability leads are a lot of the folks we work with. Maybe to a lesser extent, folks at, at a particular facility. So somebody in charge of, of a factory. And then from there, kind of, as I mentioned earlier, fanning out into accounting and legal and almost everywhere else, especially when you're talking like a, a utility scale power purchase agreement, the number of people that have to touch that 
yeah. within an organization is pretty staggering. You have to have a software element going on there. <laughs> I mean, you can't, yeah. I mean, so, so do you adapt then how, how you, how you work with different companies based on who you're working with on this or is it kind of a case of helping them to just get comfortable with the software, with the platforms that you offer? Well, the, the thing that's cool about software is that people can self-select how they want to use it, right? So when we when we bring someone kind of into our universe of our, our ecosystem of our software tools, we encourage them, like, go tell your friends, right? Go get all your colleagues in. We can do a you know demo or whatever if it's helpful for everybody. And then one person may find the education tools are really what I need. And they, they get everything they need there. Someone else finds the actual connections with the solution providers, the, re- the renewable developers in our network and on our platform is what they're looking for for their job. Somebody may just show up for a webinar that's on a topic they're interested in. And somebody else maybe is looking for that kind of validation from a peer, kind of like I was talking about earlier. So within the realm of software, there's a lot of different needs to be met by people that that are you know playing different roles in the organization. I think when it, when it comes down to the more of the consulting side of things, the the one person you really need is what we call the champion, the project champion. It's the one person who is going to kind of have everything on the line to achieve the project for their company. And uh, th- that's an important role to find. So yeah, I I was so out of grad school as a director of a nonprofit in Charlottesville, Virginia, focused on advancing sustainable development and transit and biking. And that was I remember that was a core lesson board members had was like you always have to find a champion. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's something that seems simple. It's like that's you know okay yeah, but you know as you go through life and work, um, you you realize everything requires that person who's going to really champion a project, drive it forward. It's a good mm-hmm. point. Does it ever create a real roadblock or is it just a case of we'll work with with whoever, however, and move forward? And there's always people at the company to to take on the tech side of things. I I think there's there's a need in you can say in business in general, certainly I think in renewables, this is true to just have a kind of a scrappiness like okay, you're not the right person. Who's next? Who else do I need to talk to? Okay, you like this? Great. Run with that. Introduce me to your friend and let's see what he needs or what she needs. So there's, if if you find something that works, run with it. If it doesn't work, try something else, right? And, and that's true to some extent with people too. Sometimes we, again, I'm referring kind of more to the consulting side of the business, but you get someone who you think is the project champion. And then over the course of three months of kind of ramping up the project, you realize this is not the right person and and you kind of try to find someone else. So everyone's got their roles to play and, and it, sometimes it can take time for people to figure out what kind of where they fit. Um, so yeah. So we've mostly talked about, you know, working with uh, corporations, clients who need to procure renewable energy. How do you go about selecting, finding providers uh, for your for your network? Yeah, great question. I, I could actually talk all day about the, the renewable developer side of it because this is where more of my background is. But it, I, I think in, the best way to answer that probably is that they find us. Now, certainly we have sales folks that are, you know, maybe would be mad at me giving them that answer. But we, we do so much business as an advisor 
that we have a we have a lot of long-standing relationships with renewable developers, various sorts of solution providers. We actually do some work in even within our, our platforms on the efficiency side, some of the things you mentioned earlier around lighting and various sorts of retrofits and, and kind of walkthroughs and stuff. But you know, we're looking for developers or solution providers that are established, that have a track record, if possible, that that have a track record specifically with corporates, with large corporates. And that those are the folks that we're looking for. And, and we have and, quite a few of them in our network. So. And to, to clarify too, what geographically, what are we talking? Are we, what geographic uh, regions are we, are we talking about here? Yeah. So we, we are focused within Zygo and this is kind of the Zygo network software specifically in, in the U S and Canada, in Europe, and to a lesser extent, Australia, and South America. We kind we kind of follow where there are corporate level like uh, large scale renewable options for purchasing and that continues to evolve. You know, in the last couple of years Brazil has kind of emerged and and Chile to a lesser extent. And so we we've, we've gotten more engaged in those markets. For for a number of years it was really just the US with Europe kind of emerging. Europe has really now come into its own and and now we're looking at other kind of global markets as well. And of course, Schneider Electric is a f- at at its core a French company, so it's uh, it would yeah. be natural you'd want to uh, do a lot there. So the you know we mostly talk about you know who you working with the champion, the chief sustainability officer, whoever. Uh, but at the end of the day, you gotta you have to convince and connect to the the corporate leaders, uh, the C suite. Uh, what do you find as far as either challenges or, or or good solutions for for really making the case making your point when you're you know when you're bumped up to like hey can you go talk to the ceo because you'll probably be more effective than i am at the at, at getting this message across yeah that's a great question uh and again just to clarify this is kind of on the, on the consulting side there's nothing within the software that enables you to like elevate to the ceo per se but I was curious uh, about that. Like, is there anything that's like, okay, this section gets, you know, this is like a, the slide. This is what gets pulled and presented for the, for those people. Yeah. No. So I, you know, for, for some context, the, the CEO really only needs to get involved. If you're certainly, if you're talking about like setting a public goal, right. And we have folks, we have teams that help companies do that. That's again, that's not really kind of the sweet spot of, of our software um, at the moment, at least. If I'm if I'm doing a lighting retrofit, the CEO doesn't need to know about that, right? Maybe he cares, maybe he doesn't. I'm probably not going to tell him. If I'm doing a 200 megawatt power purchase agreement, the you know it's a 15 year contract. The the dollar value of that contract necessitates that it's going up probably to the the CFO, you know, depending on how big my company is. And to answer your question, in in short, what we found is before we even start down the road to contracting for this thing, the highest level approval, that person needs to know the risks and the likely outcome. If we wait and then say, hey, we've got this project, want to know what you think, we've done way too much work already to risk him putting a, a rejection stamp on that thing. And we've had that happen. And so we've learned this the hard way. But yeah, getting that early buy-in is is really important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My I didn't mention, but my my graduate degree was in city and regional planning, and uh, 
And that's something cities, communities uh, have learned and all kinds of developers, whether it's a real estate developer, or a wind farm developer have learned is the sooner you, you get everyone involved and let them know what the plan is, the better. If you wait till it's further along, people have a tendency to be like, oh, wait a second. I didn't know about this or I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't sign off on this. You know, so it's, it's so important at all, all levels to involve the, the stakeholder community and the, the decision makers early on. What's the kind of what's the typical path you envision for one of your members who's who's going to use Zygo to decarbonize their business? What's the kind of the, the path, the story that you could you would explain? Yeah, so the the first step is is typically education. It's you know read the articles that we publish, hop on the the monthly webinars that we do, connect with other members again as as kind of an aspect of of education through the community, uh, use the tools that we have. Right, so even even companies that we work with or individuals that we work with that are fairly advanced, they have holes in their knowledge and filling those gaps and understanding. Where should I move uh, first and next is important. And that, that would be kind of the second thing is strategy. So we have some tools that can be used to help formulate a strategy. Certainly engaging the community can help that as well. Maybe I have facilities in four different countries. Which one should I tackle first? What would be the best path to get to achieving my 50% uh, renewables goal or my, my 50% scope two reduction or whatever it may be? And then lastly is execution. and. So this is where kind of that network of solution providers comes in. One of the challenges, I haven't mentioned this yet, that companies face is how, how do I know if I can trust a solution provider? How do, how do I, you know, there's not exactly a, a Yelp rating for grid scale renewable energy developers, right? And so our tools and our kind of software ecosystem is kind of a safe space where we let people in that we trust. We are trustworthy, we believe, you know, with our, our clients, they, they obviously, if they're working with us, they believe that. And so there's a bit of a tailored group of providers that you can tap into for whether it's on-site solar, battery storage, EV charging, you know, virtual power purchase agreements. Pick a few that, that, that you want to work with and start down that process of getting bids and, and taking an action. Yeah, no, I think if I was in charge of that for a company, even if I felt felt completely comfortable with our, our data collection, our cr- data crunch number crunching. I would want that. <laughs> I would want that stamp. I would want that, like that faith that, okay, we're working with Zygo Schneider electric. We're working with a company that's got this many clients, as many partners. They're going to make sure that whoever I hire for whatever job, it's going to be done well. So I think that, sure. that for me, that would be the, probably the, the number one selling point, but also I guess the ease of the, I assume the ease of the software platform to not try to reinvent the wheel and do it all myself. How, when, at what stage does that kind of, I'm just curious about walking through, like, when do you start getting into this element of the software or that element, or, you know, how does that kind of process go? Yeah. So the, again, I think the educational stuff is probably what hits you first, but, but the, the marketplace of sorts that we have that we we refer to as a project catalog where you can see of the providers in our network what specifically are are they saying they can do that's something you can interact with on day 1 as well so that's not saying that you're reaching out to them necessarily and telling them you want to you want to buy something from them but you get a window into all right this provider is saying 
that they specifically are eager to help me with on-site solar in the Southwest. And they, they believe they have a particular value play there. And I can learn about the shape of that and, and what requirements they're looking for in terms of the system size and credit. And so there are ways to begin to engage with even kind of the taking action element from day one, sort of under the heading of education, but leading in the direction of eventually pulling the trigger. Cool. And so, you know, you look at all this stuff every day. What do you see as as future trends and opportunities for corporate leaders in the realm of decarbonization, renewable energy, software utilization? Yeah, that's that's a big question, obviously. Yeah, so a lot. future trends. Of- Future trends of all of this, of everything in the world, by the way. I'll mention a few things that, that anybody that's in this in this industry is talking about. So one would be electrification. You know, this is kind of you know, moving things that are scope one to scope two, right? So if today I'm burning fossil fuels and that's scope one. If I can use a piece of electric equipment to do that instead, it becomes scope two and there are more solutions for abating my scope two emissions. So that'd be one. Another trend that that's hot right now, but I think probably it's got, we've got a little ways to go before it's it's something that's popular would be 24 seven renewables. So, uh, you know, anyone that's thought about wind and solar knows that it's going to get you electricity part of the time, right? When the wind is blowing, when the sun is shining and 24 seven renewables is that idea of how can I get around the clock renewable energy combination of battery storage and other sorts of storage technologies with kind of multiple assets so that maybe this wind farm is functional when this solar farm is not kind of thing. There's a lot wrapped up in that. That's a huge topic. We just, um, we just had a webinar on virtual power plants, for example, which is a, yeah, great, one, great. Of these, one of these fun ways of doing that. Right. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's an exciting topic for sure. In terms of software, I mean, I, I'm going to give a little bit of a generic answer, but I think it's just continuing to drive forward. And this is not just us. There's so many great software solutions out there for, for renewables. And we encourage you know people to find the ones that work for them. But it's meeting the needs of end users, right? Like when I, Amazon, for example, is, is so good at just helping me navigate purchasing like a fake mustache, like I did this morning for my Halloween costume. They know how to make me feel comfortable from first click to last click. And I think we still have work to do when it comes to, to the software side of renewables, helping, helping companies really feel in this software ecosystem. It's, it's actually meeting the needs I have, helping me feel confident with the steps I'm taking kind of from A to Z. So anyone that's in software knows that we're, we're on a journey. We're doing some things well, and we have a, a giant roadmap of things we want to try to do better. And that's where I think we're headed. So sounds great. And I'm sure, you know, people are aware of it, but with the the electrification angle, you know, so much is now electrify everything, electrify your home. It's it moves, you know, it's from scope one to scope two, as you said, but it's also just almost always or, or always like more efficient, which is more efficient to to use electric uh, systems than burning system, you know, systems that involve right. burning something for for energy. And I remember there, there was a guy, early clean tech leader from Southern California and highlighted the fact that, you know, human, if you look at the, the big timeline, humans came about, we learned to burn stuff for energy and cooking and food. 
And now we're at the next phase where we're learning to not burn stuff for energy and cooking and all this stuff. So it's like, you know, it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> you go from burning stuff, which we learned a long time ago, to not burning stuff for the same or even better uh, applications and purposes. But yeah. sounds like you guys are helping to enable a lot of that across the board, across the world. Looks like you're you must be very effective with it. I'd love to jump into the the software after talking to you and like, like, hey, you know, what, what, you know, just like play around, you know, look around. So I imagine, I imagine that's the first step, and hopefully we helped open the door for a lot of people to take that first step. Any closing comments? Anything we missed, or you wanted to add on to or emphasize? Yeah, I mean, certainly invite folks to come on in. You know, I, I would clarify our our software. Uh, kind of the team I'm on and, and the, the software product that I'm on is is really tailored for large corporations and for decarbonization solution providers. We do have another product that's more toward what we refer to as SME, small to medium entities. We're really not involved at all in residential. So I say that just in case you know folks are listening and they're like, oh, I want to put panels on my roof. That we, we have, there's a partner company uh, that's under the Schneider family called Energy Sage that is a residential, maybe you're familiar with them. So go, go check out Energy Sage. But yeah, if you're listening and you're, you're with a large corporation, come check us out. It's a free platform, you know, and, and we think we have ways to, to help you. And like I said, there are lots of other great tools out there that, that we know a lot of our folks are using as well. So Sounds great. Very useful, fun, yeah. fun conversation on decarbonization, which may not sound like the most exciting topic uh, at the forefront for some people, but uh, I think it was really fun to, to find out what you're doing and how you're how you're creating change. So thank you for, for all of that. Have a good day, Ian. And yeah, thanks for having me, Zach. This was a privilege. Yeah, keep up the good work over there at Zygo. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.